0: All right, there we go. Oh, everybody, welcome back to the Sports Attic Podcast. I'm your host, the Bacon Making, the Limousine Cruising, the Shark Punching, Ramen Noodle Loving host, with the most Ethan A. Dobbins. So, just a quick side note, actually. Um, so my schedule for this podcast, I'm going to be posting around two a week. You know, I gotta have decent grades this semester. I don't want my parents to absolutely murder me, and um. Yeah, and SAT is coming up, so got to somewhat study for that. I mean, I know I'll probably get a 1600 without even studying very much, but we'll see. And another note, I mean, just, just to go back to the whole ramen noodle oven thing, I mean, I tried organic ramen noodles for the first time. I don't know if anyone's ever tried that, but it is terrible. Like, ramen noodles is just one of those foods that you just have to accept that it's not healthy, and you can't change it. Because it's not like cereal where instead of Fruit Loops, you have fruit rings. Seriously, that's that's a cereal. I know. Amazing, right? Great name. Whoever made that name is probably a millionaire now. I wouldn't even be surprised. But, um, ramen, you know, it's, it's good as it is. Everybody loves it as it is. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, uh, let's get back onto the sports. Today, we're going to be talking about European football transfers. More specifically, the Barclays Premier League and all of the transfers going on there. And next, I know I know you're probably saying, oh, soccer, whatever. It's also going to be basketball as well. We're going to be talking about the NBA, the playoff picture, what's going wrong with the Cavs. That's going to be a huge section. So obviously, you can skip by to the NBA. It's probably around 20 minutes in. I'm not 100% sure. That's just a prediction. But let's start with the Premier League transfers. January transfer window. Everybody's favorite time of the year besides the summer transfer window. I mean, you get great deals like Maras who joined Leicester for 400,000 euros and now is rumored to be over 50 million with rumors to Liverpool. And currently we are more than three weeks into the window and finally deals are getting done. It's been a long time. We've been waiting as fans and the big deals have finally been set. Sanchez is now going to Manchester United. They had a whole video. He's going to be wearing the number seven, the CR7 number a lot of greats have worn number seven at manchester united hopefully sanchez can be successful so i want to dive into that deal to start it off Oof, good start let's do it so when we came into the transfer window a lot of the interest, in fact really the only interest was coming from the blue side of manchester when it came to sanchez because they tried to sign him earlier on and the fees were too high man city backed out but you know they reignited the interest Pep Guardiello obviously coached Sanchez at Barcelona, so it looked like a match made in heaven. But the price tag Arsenal wanted in the January transfer window, even though Sanchez has refused to re-sign for Arsenal, and he will most likely leave, if anything, if a deal doesn't get done, which it already has, so good for Arsenal, I guess, was that they wanted €35 million, euros, which Man City gladly grow to conscience and said, hell to the no. And Sanchez wanted five hundred thousand a week, which would have made him the highest-paid Premier League player. Again, another hell to the no. Sanchez is great; he's a great player, but he ain't the best player in the Premier League. There's, I have no doubt in my mind that he's nowhere near the best, but he is top ten. Uh, I, I can give him that. But if Man City was to make him, you know, the highest-paid earner at Man City with five hundred thousand euros a week, that would double Man City's current highest owner Sergio Aguero by 250,000 because Aguero makes 250,000 a week he would have doubled him so just imagine the kind of problems that would have create Man City with all the people having expired contracts they'll be like man I should be making 300,000 now if Sanchez is making that much and that's what the market's at right now for contracts so a lot of problems will start there and that's going to be a problem with Manchester United coming into this window now that Sanchez is has gotten in his wish and getting 500,000 euros a week. I mean, it's absolutely insane the kind of money he's going to be making. I mean, we're talking Ronaldo and Messi levels of wages there. So hopefully he can do really good. There's going to be a ton of pressure on him because obviously Man's, Man United already signed a top striker, Lukaku from Everton, who nearly won the Golden Boot last year. But obviously Lukaku's really only scoring against weaker teams. I mean, against big teams, <coughs> Man City, uh, 2-1, 2 uh, uh, two clearances right to the other team, uh, two assists. Uh, sorry, some that was a little, that was too immature of me. As a professional podcaster, I should never do immature coughing. sounds like that. But Lukaku um, just has not been the big game changer. Like, he looks great at times, but in the big games, he's just not there. It looks like they're playing with 10 players. I mean, if it makes you feel better, I guess, man, United looks like they're playing with 11 because De Gea looks like two players out there. He's just so good this year. He won the best goalkeeper of the year, and he deserved it 100. He's easily the best goalie in my eyes, and I'm a goalkeeper in real life, so I, I know my I know my stuff. His reactions are just absolutely insane for a six foot five goalie. Absolutely crazy how fast and agile he is. But with Sanchez, it's just Arsenal. You know, are getting more than just the 35 million that Man United are willing to pay. Mourinho opened up the checkbooks again, brought in him, but he also gave away Mkhitaryan. And even though Mourinho totally signed, you know, Mkhitaryan for over 40 million euros, he's perfectly fine with giving away. I mean, why not just do a swap deal and maybe like 10 million? Why, why pay the full 35 million when Mkhitaryan is not a bad player at all? He's made 22 appearances this year and has scored 13 goals. He's not dried up. He's clearly a great player. But with Man City, their interests seemed a little bit dumb when you think about it. Because Man City already paid $50 million for Bernardo Silva, who's getting only appearances really off the bench, because he's averaging 30 minutes per appearance in the Premier League. And Man City, of course, has the most goals in the Premier League. So, you know, it, w- it didn't make a lot of sense there. So Man City, I, I applaud them for backing out of this deal. They didn't need the signing. It would have been a luxury signing, really. He would have been a pretty expensive bench player, in my opinion, considering I don't think they should drop Sterling, Sane, or Aguero for Sanchez because, first of all, player development's a key thing for the future. Sanchez is 29. He's not going to get any better. This is his prime. Sterling and Sane are just looking to get better, and Aguero, in my opinion, is the second-best striker behind Harry Kane, and Sanchez is number three in my eyes. So I would not bench Aguero for Sanchez. But... On to Man United. They got their man. Against top six teams, like I said, they have struggled. They have two wins, one draw, and two losses. And when you're a team like Man United with expectations all the way to the sky, you got to be doing better than that. You can't have two wins and two losses. It's just not the best from them. Man City, on the other hand, uh, I'm pretty sure is undefeated against those big teams. Besides Liverpool. So, top six teams. So... Man City is playing a lot better, and obviously Man United, that's their rivals. They want to compete with their rivals, and Mourinho is willing to spend however much it takes to be on the same level as Man City, which seems impossible considering how good Man City's been this season. But on to Mkhitaryan. So I think he was the big reason why this deal took basically the whole transfer window. He had to negotiate a contract with Arsenal. He had a lot of leverage, of course, because, you know, He's still a great player. When He was bought by Man United. He came off a season which he scored 19 goals and had 24 assists. Unbelievable numbers. From the Armenian. Wow. Talk about being a national hero. I mean, Armenian football. Seriously, that's crazy. But Mkhitaryan was making about 200000 a week. He had the leverage. He was going to get a, a bump in his pay rise. I haven't checked what his salary is, but it's definitely going to be higher now because he had a lot of leverage to negotiate here he decided whether or not this deal went through and he you know negotiated his contract he's gonna be an arsenal player and i think it's in addition arsenal selling santo's for 35 million which on its own right i think is a great bit of business because you could have easily gotten nothing for him Uh, someone maybe no one would have pulled the trigger just waited for his contract to expire so they got 35 million and a great starter now that Walcott is gone, because Walcott has been sold to Everton for around 20 million euros. By the way, he had a great debut. He had an assist against uh, West Brom, I believe. So, you know, good for him. And, you know, just at the very least, Mkhitaryan will be able to replace, you know, Walcott's production off the bench. But he should be a starter. I can imagine right now Mkhitaryan, Lacazette, Ozil. And a big reason why Winger was able to be comfortable selling Sanchez it's because he always has a backup in mind. If he's selling someone, he's got someone that's going to replace him in his mind. And Aubameyang looks like that man. 28 years old. Everyone's favorite player in FIFA. 96 pace. I mean, I got to stop talking about FIFA. But, I mean, Aubameyang, of course, incredibly fast. Six foot two. Very physical. Is proven to score in the Bundesliga level. You know, him and Lewandowski have been... Just on their own level when it comes to scoring in the Bundesliga. They easily score 30 goals a season. It's just insane. And in the Champions League, he also scores a ton of goals. So he knows what he's doing. He knows how to score in big games. He's a clinical superstar franchise type of player. He can be the face of Arsenal. And actually give Arsenal fans, you know, some hope for next season. Lacazette and Aubameyang, that's an incredible duo. If they get some, just develop the team chemistry this season... Between those two, they could be the most deadly striker combination in the Premier League next season. I would not be surprised there. But um, right now, Liverpool have also been very big in the business, so we're jumping off of the whole Sanchez deal. And, uh, of course, they sold the face of their club, Coutinho, to Barcelona for a fee that even I couldn't refuse considering how much Coutinho has done. I get it. He's done a lot. And, you know, football fans are very sentimental. You can't blame them. When a big player leaves or someone that's been there a while, they will get emotional. They will get pissed at the club no matter how much they get because Barcelona paid $142 million for him. I mean, that's $100 million plus profit for when Liverpool bought him, brought him in from Inter for $10 million five years ago in the transfer window, January transfer window. I mean, it's just been a great bit of business from Liverpool. They have a ton of money now to work with and improve their squad. They're going to be in the Champions League. Next year, I mean, most likely, they want to compete for the Premier League. They're going to have Navi Keita come in. But obviously, like I said, the midfield, as of right now, is not looking very good whatsoever. It looks like it can be their weak spot now that they signed Virgil van Dyke for $75 million from Southampton, which, in my opinion, was way too much. I get it. He's 26 years old, incredibly tall, very strong, proven on the Premier League level. But $75 million, that's way too much. When you consider how much like Bayern spent for Mats Hummels last, last year or two years ago, they spent only around €30 million Euros for him. I mean, I get the market has changed, but it hasn't changed that much. Just don't look in the Premier League for other talent. There's talent in other leagues. You don't have to spend that much for a defender. And it was easily the most expensive deal for a defender because that's €75 million. The second most expensive was €52 million for Kyle Walker when Man City brought him in from Tottenham. So, yeah, Liverpool, I think that was a bad bit of business on their side. Obviously, they had a lot of cash to work with, so they're allowed to do that stuff. But now it's on to replacing Coutinho at the club. Mares looks like a great replacement in my eyes because they have very similar play styles, love to dribble, love to take and create scoring opportunities for their team. And Mares is obviously the best player not in a top six club right now. He's a €40 million Euro player in my eyes, and considering how much Barcelona paid for uh, Coutinho, Liverpool's got the money to pay for Maris and another goalkeeper. They need another goalkeeper. Mignolet has been terrible. Carius, when they first brought him in, I thought could easily be the you know next Liverpool goalkeeper for the next five years. Because him and Leno and uh, Ter Stegen all came at the same time, and no one knew who was going to be better. Ter Stegen looks like a top three goalkeeper in the world. Leno looks like top ten in the world. And Carius has just been terrible. I mean, talk about a career drop-off. I mean, I I guess learning from Karius every week has really just taken its toll on him because he's getting injured. He's just not been the same player. It's really been disappointing watching Karius. But if Liverpool are just going to bring in a new midfielder along with Keita coming in next year, I mean, I could see Liverpool also being title contenders for the Premier League next season. Like, if they bring in... Like a Marco Verratti or a Thiago from Bayern. I mean, they could seriously be incredibly threatening. And I get it. Those players are going to be really expensive. But Liverpool has the cash now. They could definitely go out and spend that much. They're a Premier League team. Premier League teams have got money. They can spend it. So uh, let's go to the final Premier League team I want to talk about. It's Chelsea. Because Chelsea have been rumored with some of the worst strikers I've ever seen. I mean... None at all at the level of Chelsea. I mean, if Michi Batshuayi isn't good enough to make the first team, what on earth are we being linked to? Andy Carroll, Marco Arnanovich, Peter Crouch, the 36-, 37-year-old Eiffel Tower, Edin Dzeko, and Ashley Barnes from Burnley, a man who's made eight appearances for Burnley. Just, Just SMH. SMH. What is Conte thinking? I get it. Big tall striker, that's what he wants. I mean, you sold Diego Costa six foot two. I mean, he was a main he was a cancer to the team, so I don't blame him for selling him. But why would you go for these players? These are not Chelsea level players. By the way, I am a Chelsea fan, so I am saying we, uh, when I'm addressing Chelsea, there's just so many problems. I mean, I get the interest in Jeky if we offered to buy him last year, because he scored 29 goals in 33 Serie A games last year. He looked like one of the best strikers in Europe last year. But this year, again, he's 31 years old. He's only going to regress. And he's only scored nine goals this season. I mean, in 19 appearances, which isn't bad. But it's not going to be the injection of goals and scoring as soon as he comes into the, in through the doors. So it's not going to be like, oh, Edin Jekko's here. Now we can finally score again. Even though we did score four against, um, I believe it was Brighton last week so we know how to score it's just we really need that you know main number nine because Morata has been struggling I did like when we brought Morata in I thought he would be a success even though a lot of people said oh he's gonna fail but he looked really good in the beginning I still have faith in Morata he's so young he's so talented I mean you don't play for Real Madrid unless you're incredibly talented and he's so young I mean he played at Real Madrid when he's 22 he played it. And Juventus, he's played at big clubs. He's played in big games. He's got experience. I get it. He played terrible against Arsenal. Everybody just remembers him for the Arsenal game. But he's so much more than that. So I think just give him time. And if we are going to bring in a big, tall striker like Conte wants, instead of Ashley Barnes, maybe bring in someone like uh, Kareem Benzema, 6'2". You can buy him for 50 60000000 You could buy Zaza from La Liga, Valencia. He's 6'1", and is top five in La Liga goals this season. And he's only 26. 26. That makes sense, in my opinion. Even though he failed at West Ham, I mean, he's just been on a whole new level at Valencia. So I could see him 20, 30 million would be a great signing. Or even Cavani. Cavani would make a ton of sense. He's six feet tall. He's a world class striker. He would improve Chelsea immediately. And he, according to some, you know, newspapers, said he wants to leave PSG, that he's no longer, you know, the superstar, big number nine. I mean, it could be totally fake. I I doubt Cavani's that selfish and cares that much about being number one, even though there was the whole penalty dispute between him and Neymar. I think it's just rumors there. But, I mean, Cavani would be a great signing, and it makes sense. So I'm going to end the whole Premier League section there, but uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to Bayern Munich for signing... A man that's easily worth over fifty million, German international Leon Goretzka for free. Unbelievable signing, only twenty-two years old, incredibly pacey, six foot two midfielder, looks like the future of Germany, the future of Bayern Munich easily. That could be the signing of all time. If he, you know, turns out and reaches his potential, it would easily be, I think, the best midfielder signing of all time. I wouldn't be surprised. Considering this market to get someone for free, it's not like 1990s where people are going for one, two million. This is an era where top midfielders Coutinho are going for 140 million, and they're getting Goretzka for free. And because of that, you know, Goretzka has been totally like taking so much crap from the Schalke supporters; they've totally isolated him. So for the next six months, it's going to be absolute hell for Goretzka. They just hate him right now. So I feel bad for him. That that might take a mental toll on him. That might not make him reach his potential, because, I mean, that that's just such a lot to deal with, having so many people hate you at such a young age, just because, you know, you want to improve your soccer, you want to play for a better club. I mean, a soccer player's goal is, again, maybe to stick with the same team for your whole career, but to also play for the best teams, and Bayern Munich is the best team in Germany, so you can't blame them whatsoever. And another shout-out to Juventus, just in general, because Juventus and Bayern Munich they're the model clubs when it comes to being a big team, but realizing that you don't have to spend 100 million, 75 million to be a great team, to challenge for Europe. You know, a lot of their signings are under 40 million. Like Juventus signed Dybala, I believe, two, three windows ago for 30 million. And now he's worth over, according to some, 200 million. He looks like a top five most expensive player in the world, which I. I I could see him going for $200 million. He's a great player. He's incredibly talented. He looks like the next Messi. I don't think he'll reach Messi levels, but he's insane technically, and he's very, you know, pacey. He's got a lot of gifts. And uh, also Juventus, you know, signed Kingsley Komen for free, who's worth over $30 million on the transfer market website. Uh, and just to end it off, Bayern Munich, again, signed Hummels and Kimmich. For $38.5 million combined. So clearly, you can be a big team and actually look for affordable deals. So Premier League teams, take a note to what Bayern and Juve are doing. They know how to spend the big money and actually be reasonable. Bayern Munich signed their best player, Robert Lewandowski, for free. I mean, wow, Bayern Munich is just amazing. Seriously, shout out to them. But uh, it is time for a break, you know. I am a little bit thirsty, you know. Throat's a little bit dry. I can't be thirsty with all these girls around me, man. I just can't, I can't be slipping up. So I'm just going to take a quick break and uh, I'll be right back. Okay. Shout out to Designing Water, by the way, you know, easily keep you more hydrated than any other the waters. Don't at me. Don't come at me with that Aquafina, Evian, all that crap, dude. Designing water—it's purified water. It's enhanced with minerals for a pure, fresh taste. I'm not getting paid for this, so I'm not going to advertise them anymore. Seriously, I wish I was, but uh, they always keep me hydrated around all these thoughts. You got to be watching out in 2018 because you know you can be walking down the street. Thoughts going to come out of nowhere and just rob you, rob you of your heart. Come on, money. Let's let's be honest. But um, I want to get into a little bit of a story before we talk about the NBA. You can skip by it. I could care less. But um, I've noticed as I've gotten older on social media, I'm big into social media, of course, so is nearly every single teenager, but um, girls lately have been posting a lot more pics without their eyes facing the camera or their face facing the camera. And a lot of times, for some reason, their backs are facing the camera and they're showing what their mama gave them. And I'm like, ooh. I mean, I'm not saying I'm against this recent trend. In fact, I'm for it. But um, it's an interesting development. I've quickly done my research, and uh, I don't know what, ex- what explains this trend. Because in sixth grade, you know, all these girls would be posting at their speech and debate tournaments and their Sunday school meetings. And I just love looking at those pics. I mean, a lot more than bikini pics. Come on. You can't see a girl's personality when you see a bikini. It's all about, you know, when they're at church. Then you know, oh, they're into church. They're in just a bikini. You're just like, oh, well, they like bikinis. Come on, all your posts should be meaningful and uh, tell about your background. That's that's what I think. And uh, I again, not not against this movement. In fact, girls, if you're listening to this, uh, keep on posting those back picks. Guys don't have a problem with that. If you want more followers, just keep it up. But um, on to the NBA. <laughs> But um, the biggest surprise this season with NBA, in my opinion, has been the Pacers, because they've been predicted by ESPN and a lot of other websites to really underperform this year. And you can't blame them, because they traded away their best player, their franchise player, Paul George. And ESPN only predicted the Pacers to win 32 games this year. And currently, the Pacers have won 24, and it's only halfway done with the season. So what's happened? I mean, why are they good this year? I mean, Paul George last year put up 24 points, 6.6 rebounds, and 3.3 assists. I mean, who's going to replace that? Is there anyone out there? Is there a superhero, possibly in Oklahoma City, that's going to come and turn around our franchise and be our franchise superstar? Victor Oladipo has been out of his mind lately. Obviously, him and uh, Sabanis, Sabinius, whatever the hell, have been traded for Paul George. It was easily the most criticized trade in the NBA during this offseason. In fact, a lot of people said it would cost Indiana Pacers GM Pritchard his job. But Oladipo has scored more points than George last year and had more assists. He has 24.2 points, 5.2 rebounds, which is just one less, and 3.9 assists. So basically four assists. So obviously... There is some uh, different circumstances there. I, George is obviously more talented, but Oladipo has more than filled his role and all expectations people could have had of him. I mean, he's looking like a number two pick. I mean, a lot of people thought he would be a bust because, you know, he, he was playing for the basically on the bench for the Thunder. He wasn't getting a ton of minutes, he wasn't the main ball handler. He didn't look amazing. But in my opinion, he's now the front runner for the most improved player because he's just been so good. Him and maybe. Gerald Green, because, you know, he went for the whole free agent to start, I mean, being such a huge impact for the Rockets. You know, he's averaging 16 points a game. I mean, Gerald Green has also been incredibly amazing this season. Like, who knew he would just blow up? So, uh, you know, good for Oladipo and the Pacers. They're looking great. But speaking of the best team in the East right now, the Celtics. I mean, Kyrie is looking like the best guard in the East right now. And he's currently... Entering his prime. I mean, how do you stop Kyrie Irving? His handles, his skills on offense are just unbelievable. And in my eyes, are unmatched by any guard not named Steph Curry. I mean, Uncle Drew just knows how to teach these young bloods, man. I mean, he's led Boston to the best defense in the NBA, giving up the least amount of points at 97.6 points per game. Only the Spurs are close to that because they've given up 97.9 So, obviously, they're very close. I mean, the numbers, by the time I post this, could switch. Maybe the Spurs will be number one, Boston number two. Who knows? But right now, Boston is also top five in opponent field goal percentage. So, their defense has been the key to them winning all these games. It's been the key for the Celtics being number one in the East right now. They currently, uh, I believe, have 34 wins. But they've gone through some struggles. I mean, lately, they've lost, what, their last three games. And, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving said, you know, this adversity is going to be good for them. And obviously, they're not the biggest team struggling right now, let's be honest. The Celtics will be fine. And, you know, just to make them feel better, you know, the Kings are on a seven-game losing streak right now after having probably the biggest off-season rebuild of all time, bringing in Zach Randolph, George Hill, Vince Carter, Aaron Fox, Harry Giles, Justin Jackson, and they spent award winner, Frank Mason. I mean, how many people can you add in one season? Obviously, they're going to struggle. I mean, you're just rebuilding a whole team. I mean, you're expecting team chemistry to be amazing. And the Kings are, again, one of the worst teams in the NBA this season. Seven-game losing streak right now. But they do have a very good core of young, talented players. You know, if they get Marvin Bagley in this draft, I mean, they could seriously be a good team or at least look like a future prospect of being a a playoff-contending team. It wouldn't be surprising. But let's get into the real meat of the NBA, the real story. The Cleveland Cavaliers, Believeland, as it was once called. What has happened to them? The Raptors started off the whole trend, scoring 133 points on them. The Magic scored 127 on them. The Warriors scored 118, which isn't that bad, considering they're averaging 115 points a game. But the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves dropped 127. The Thunder front four, Stephen Adams, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, scored 113 points on him. Four dudes scored 113 on a team that has made the NBA Finals the past three seasons. What is going on in Cleveland? I mean, Terrence Ferguson made an amazing dunk to end that game, if you saw. I mean, and there was a minute remaining, too. The Thunder could have had more than 150 points if they really tried. And Terrence Ferguson, by the way, I mean, that dunk was absolutely insane. He totally fits the description lately of, like, dunk contest participants being people you've never heard of but can just fly. Seriously, like, who was in the dunk contest last year? I honestly can't name anybody. Even the winner I couldn't even name. But then last year was sort of a terrible year for the NBA. I mean, the Warriors won as expected with the super team, Kevin Durant. Rookie of the year was Malcolm Brogdon. I mean... No one's ever heard of him, even though he's won the rookie of the year. It's just it was really a bad year when you think about it. And but I mean this year obviously had an amazing start with the whole free agency, easily the biggest and best free agency of all time in the NBA. So many new faces in so many new places. It's just awesome. But for the Cavs, they also made some changes. They made that huge trade. They got a new GM. Altman. Kobe Altman is now the GM. Rookie season for him. And he's having to deal with the same situations that Dave and Griffin, the former GM of the Cavs, had to deal with. That is that, you know, the Cavs tend to struggle midseason. I mean, last year they were struggling midseason, and they still made the Eastern Conference Finals. They finished number two seed. Everybody was freaking out. And LeBron said, "Uh, oh, it, it's all right. We were taking it easy. Okay, we'll turn on in the playoffs. And he was totally right. They did. They beat the Celtics. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean... LeBron totally was right with his promise. And I think it's the same situation here again where it's you don't need to panic. You don't need to make a trade. The Cavs will be just fine. When you have LeBron James, you're going to be fine. I mean, just ask the Heat. Seriously. You'll be absolutely fine. But um, obviously the Cavs have had some really big struggles. I mean, it's a little bit surprising. They've dropped their last five out of six games. I mean, again, defense has been at the core of the issues with them. It's just, I mean, their communication's off. The chemistry's off. Nothing seems to be really clicking. I mean, LeBron has been playing out of his mind this season. He's averaging 27 points, eight rebounds, and nine assists. So, obviously, can't put the blame on him. I mean, Isaiah's been injured, and he was, of course, the big part of that first trade uh, Kobe did. I know, I know you're probably thinking Kobe Bryant. Kobe Altman. I'll just call him Altman. But, um... They're three and nine since Christmas. So just I don't know what's happened. So Allman is probably feeling a lot of pressure in his rookie season to trade for someone new before the deadline. Obviously, David Griffin, when he was a GM, made a lot of big and great deals. You know, in his first season as GM, Griffin signed LeBron from the Heat, and he brought in Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins. So he made some great signings, and you know, they've obviously paid off. They won a championship. But um, Allman, in my opinion, made the greatest first trade I've ever seen because that Irving trade, when it first happened, I thought, wow, the Celtics got swindled. I mean, Isaiah Crowder, Isaiah, I mean, not Isaiah Crowder, sorry, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and most likely a top 10 pick coming from the Nets for a disgruntled Kyrie Irving, a man who wanted to leave. So the Cavs, it was their job this offseason the number one priority, getting rid of a player who didn't want to be there, and they still got so much for him. They got an all-star point guard, Isaiah Thomas, who averaged over twenty-nine points last year. I mean, his, the reason why he's injured right now—I mean, his back must be hurting still to this day from carrying that team. I mean, carrying that team, a whole franchise, and you're five foot nine. I mean, give him give him a lot of credit there. But, you know, the Nets currently have the eighth-worst record, so it's going to be a top-ten pick without a doubt. But for some reason, the Celtics are the ones thriving after this trade. I I really don't get it. I get it. Kyrie Irving's been amazing this season. He's embraced that number-one role. He is the superstar for the Celtics, and they obviously have Gordon Hayward on the way next season. So I, I can't imagine how good the Celtics are going to be next season as well. But Altman is negotiating trades currently with the Clippers and Sacramento because he wants to bring in a new superstar, a new starter, or at least some big talent that'll help him compete in the playoffs. Because obviously they're making the playoffs. But that's the only thing he's focusing on right now. So the three people he's really been going after is Grant Hill, Lou Williams, and DeAndre Jordan. So I don't think he should bring in Grant Hill necessarily. I think Jose Calderon can be a fine backup point guard to Isaiah Thomas. Derek Rose, he was supposed to be the backup this season. He looked like he could have been starting because Derek Rose, obviously, he won an MVP. I mean, yeah, he's dropped off exponentially, but, you know, he's had the whole, you know... It, there's just been a lot of ego issues with the Cavaliers. I mean, you got JR, you know, he's got his own agenda. Thomas has his own agenda. And Derek Rose, you know, he's considered retiring in the middle of the season. I mean, it just... Way too much drama surrounding the Cavaliers right now. I mean, if I was starting a franchise, I really wouldn't want LeBron near it. Because it seems like there's always drama where LeBron is. I would like Giannis. There's, there's no drama with Giannis, except for... I think this is the only time, actually, where Giannis has had drama because of the whole Jason Kidd firing thing. But before that, Giannis, very quiet player. Or just give me quiet Leonard. He's not going to talk. He'll be our unquestioned leader. Two-way star. Lou Williams has been having an amazing season so far. Averaging over 24 points and five assists. Obviously, everyone knows he can score the ball. But five assists. These are Kyrie Irving-like numbers. And he is the main reason why the Clippers are currently in playoff contention. They are the number eight seed in the West. Unbelievable. Doc Rivers has to be loving this dude right now. So why would the Clippers want to trade him? They're in playoff contention. I mean, they're not going to go far, but they're enjoying this new team. It's a total new face Team And I don't think anyone's really upset at the Clippers right now. They're outperforming for what they have right now. And uh, DeAndre Jordan, you know, everyone knows he can rebound, but he's averaging 15 rebounds a game. Only, I mean, him and Drummond are really just going to fight for that rebound title because he's also averaging 15 rebounds a game. It's just amazing how physical DeAndre Jordan is. He's, in my opinion, the most physical center in the league. And he would easily help out the Cavaliers. I, I would say the Cavaliers would be championship favorites if they got Jordan. Because Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Love, Isaiah Thomas, that's a super team. That's a super team better than the Warriors. And in negotiations, a lot of the people that, um the main trade ca- uh, candidates for the Cavaliers have been Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith. So they wouldn't be giving up a starter. They're not giving up Kevin Love for DeAndre Jordan. They'd be giving up players that are... In my opinion, useless for the Cavaliers. Tristan Thompson's making 17 million a year, and he's making he's playing 20 minutes a game. He's averaging five points, five rebounds. Completely, I mean, I wouldn't say useless, but easily replaceable stats. DeAndre Jordan would easily replace them. I mean, 17 million—talk about stealing 11. And DeAndre Jordan is shooting 66% from the field, which is the second highest in the league. So both those players are great candidates. Grant Hill, I'm not too. Excited or high on right now, but um, I'm not gonna get into him. There's also been rumors about the Cavs potentially trading to the Magic for you know Gordon and uh Evan Fournier because if they throw in someone like a Kevin Love to the Magic for you know Gordon and Fournier, I wouldn't think that's a bad trade at all. I think that would be a great trade because Gordon's only 22 years old. I mean, he's been in the league forever. I mean, he's gonna. This is the last year of his contract. He's going to get paid this offseason. And if LeBron, who only signs one-year deals, wants to leave because the Cavs don't win a championship or something, why wouldn't you want Aaron Gordon as your franchise leader? 18 points, 8 rebounds a game, and like I said, is 22 years old. He and Isaiah Thomas could easily be the face of the franchise for the next couple seasons for the Cavs. That wouldn't be bad at all. And Evan Fournier is also averaging 18 points. So that would be two great trade candidates. And if they got him this offseason, I mean, right now during the middle of the season, I think the Cavs would also still be a favorite for the championship because they're just that good. So obviously we'll see what Allman does. Will he panic? Will he trade for someone new? Will he stick with the roster? I hope he sticks with it because the Cavs, in my opinion, are going to make Eastern Conference Finals. They are going to make the championship. I have no doubt about that. Even though I'm terrible with predictions. If you looked last week, I was over 2 on my NFL predictions, but um Cavs are going to make the finals. Come on. Let's be real. So um we got two more teams to cover here. We got the Thunder, I'll make this short. I am a Thunder fan so I am biased, but you know they obviously look like they're finally clicking. I mean, I think the Warriors and the Thunder's and the Thunder could be the conference final in the West. I think the Thunder if they really go up to their potential could be amazing and if they do reach the western conference final will paul george stay i mean i think that's enough right there just to convince them to stay for another year or at least two that would be something really interesting to look at there and the thunder would have finally some stability after signing russell westbrook to a big deal so obviously i'm very happy about what the thunder are at right now even though they are the number five seed i think they'll outperform that seed when they get to playoff time so finally, we have the Rockets, who again, like the Pacers, have been the story of the season. The Chris Paul trade, huge trade, totally shifted the franchise and talent and the rosters on those two teams, the Clippers and the Rockets. And the Rockets have been looking amazing. That duo, Chris Paul, James Harden, easily the best front court duo in the league. I think it's better than Thompson, Curry all day. I would choose Harden and Paul. They're just so good. And obviously, they played the Warriors recently. Chris Paul had 33 points, 11 assists, and 7 rebounds. And just, that's just the stats. If you looked at the highlights from that game, he had some amazing handles. He looked unstoppable. And the Rockets have been unstoppable when James Harden and Paul and Clint Capella have been on the floor together. They're 17-0 when those three are in. They can't be beat. And the team right now has a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. I love that they do. Because Clint Capella said, yeah, we're better than the Warriors. A bold statement, but when you beat them, I mean, I think that gives you all the right in the world to say you're better than the Warriors. If you beat them, if you play better than them, why not say you're a better team? That that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, they beat him by eight points. But um, Clint Capella has also been having such an amazing season. He's 23 years old. Only 6'9". He a, he's a center. But he's 6'9, averaging 14 and a half points, 12 rebounds, and is the only guy shooting at a higher percentage than DeAndre Jordan. He's shooting 67% from the field. A 23 year old is leading the NBA in field goal percentage. Unbelievable. You know, incredibly strong, incredibly physical, a lot like Kenneth Fareed, except a better shooter. I mean, he proved it. His field goal efficiency, his scoring efficiency is just so good. And the Rockets this season are averaging the second most points in the NBA, the most three-pointers made, averaging over 15 three-pointers a game. And right now, just to put that in context, the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets and the Cleveland Cavaliers are tied for second with 12 made threes a game. Just incredible. I mean, the Rockets shoot so many threes. I mean, it's a big reason why they're one of the best teams right now in the NBA. And they make the most for three for, uh, free throws per game. So another thing to add to that. Their defense, of course, is the one area they need to improve, just like the Cavaliers, because they are bottom five when it comes to field goals allowed. They give up a lot of field goals. And they do have the second best plus minus, but when it comes to just points per game allowed, they are bottom 15 in the league, which is not where you want to be if you want to win a championship. You have to be great, because the Warriors also have a great defense to match that great offense. And if you're going to compete with them in the Western Conference Finals, you have to play better than them on defense. Obviously, they beat them, but, playoff series last seven games. Adjustments are made. Injuries are injuries occur. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Houston's still looking great right now. Second best plus minus in the NBA. So, uh, we'll see how the Rockets finish. Hopefully there's no injuries to Chris Paul and James Harden anymore. Because they've been dealing with that. But, um, if they stay healthy, who knows how far the Rockets can go. Maybe they can go to the championship. You never know. But, um. Let's, I think this is a good place to end it. I mean, Rockets, obviously, they rely on scoring more than the other teams, streetball style. I can respect it. But um, I'm going to – I think this is a good place to end, honestly. I've gone through all my points. I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, before I go, I'm just going to give you guys some life advice. And uh, my advice, which is easily my favorite part of the podcast, I love giving out advice, is um, always take risks. You know, In life, you got to take risks. you got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Like even if people are telling you not to, like I'm going to be having a podcast right now. I'm going to be starting a sports website soon. I mean, I get I'm I'm doing some pretty big time commits right now. And it's sort of scary because I have school to do and, uh, you know, good grades to get and good SAT scores to get. But uh, I'm committing to some decent sized projects. And uh, if I would put it in an example for the common person, like let's say you're walking down the street and like a homeless guy's giving out credit cards. And he's like, "Hey, it's a free credit card. I mean, you gotta get that credit card. It's free. When are you ever gonna get another free credit card in your life? You gotta take that. You got be... and then you gotta thank him, give him a five dollar bill in his cup, and be on your way." Seriously, thank you, homeless people, for giving us credit cards. And it's like the decision between studying for a big test or watching a new TV show. Like, if a new Bachelorette season comes on, or a new American Horror Story, something like that comes on, and you're just watching an episode. You're like, okay, I'll watch this episode, at 7 p.m., then I'll start studying. And then the episode ends, but it's a cliffhanger. You got to watch the next episode. You got to know what happens. Did he get murdered? Will his love come back to him? I don't know. You got to watch the next episode. And then it ends on a cliffhanger. And then you got to keep watching until, you know, the season's over. And then once you finish the season, you can start studying. Even though it might be 1 or 2 a.m., then you can start studying. You can't miss out on your TV. TV above everything. So that's my advice. Hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been the Sports Addict Podcast. I'm out.